Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all this morning. Just want to let you know something about this sermon. Uh, the first two points, so, so we try and uh, preach through books, we always preach through books of the Bible, uh, except if we do topical. But anyway, um, but one of the things that we're always trying to do is go, we want, want the Bible to be specifically applied to your life. So we want, because of what we hear today, that your life is changed tomorrow or Monday, right? Uh, and the rest of your life. Um, this sermon, the last point, will be something that's really important for our church. Uh, may not be specifically important, but, but it's a bit like wheat bix. You know how wheat bix are good for you, but they don't really taste good? Um, it may be a bit like that. But just warning you, it may be a bit like that. Hopefully it won't be that bad. Does anyone really like wheat bix and I've just offended them? Yeah, okay, um, I'm, yeah, okay cool. See me after. Oh, actually, just drop a note in the communication card and let me know that you're offended. So that would be great. I'm going to pray, and let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. And Lord, I do thank you that all your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. We pray that you would do that this morning. Lord, Lord, that you would speak through your word and through me. And Lord, that you would transform our lives, both individually and corporately. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about a man I met at my previous church. I actually, to my embarrassment, I, uh, I forgot his name. In, in fact, I asked Kate, I said, do you remember this guy? And she said, oh, kind of. I said, do you remember his name? She forgot too, but she's better with names than anyway. Um, so, so what was really interesting is he started coming to resolve my previous church um, about three quarters of a year into us starting and he was angry he was angry he was bitter and he used to tell me all the things all the negative things that he thought uh, our ministry especially my preaching made him feel and he did not hold back it was both barrels and after a while after about six months we just didn't see him and can I just say, I was a bit relieved. I was a bit relieved and I just thought, okay, he's gone, probably won't see him again. We can look into, uh, and you know, we didn't do anything for him, so I wonder what God has got for other people. About two months before we closed Resolve Down, I was walking through the car park of IGA at Newtown and out of the blue, I heard... Hands, hands, and I turned around, and there was that very same guy. But he didn't, uh, he didn't look unhappy. In fact, he had this massive smile across his face. And he said, how are you doing? I said, yeah, really, really good. And um, I said to him, hey, I just want to let you know that, I, that if my ministry was negative to you, I'm really sorry. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Brother, it was great. It was exactly what I needed to hear. I was like, okay, what? And he goes, oh, I went from there and I travelled around the world and I became a Christian. Um, and, oh, man, look, I just want to say God started working at that church. I was like, wow, this is amazing, right? And I said, oh, well, I hate to tell you, but we're closing this church down. We just couldn't get it off the ground. It's been almost eight years. And uh, we, we, we're closing it down. In two months' time, we're having our final service. I'd love for you to come. He goes, mate, I won't be there. And I was a bit offended. I thought, you know, you could come and you could share about how, how everything's going. He goes, no, I'm dying of cancer. I won't be around. And I said, oh, mate, look, I'm sorry. He goes, I'm not. 
with a big smile across, across his face. I'm not. I'm going home. I can't wait to go home. And then he told me how, he's, how he had to run. He's meeting up with a friend, but he thanked me once again. And I remember going to my office and just with tears of joy thanking God for what he'd done, that he had transformed this guy's life in an amazing way. And today we're going to see another transformation. We're going to see a man who, is an, who was an idolater. He was a priest of foreign gods, which are really not gods, to a person who worships the God of the Bible. And here's what I want to ask you as we come to this passage. When we see a huge transformation like that, either, you know, my friend who was coming to that ch- my previous church, or we see it in the Bible, have you had a huge transformation like that? Have you gone from living your own way to trusting the God of the universe? Has that been your transformation? Now, some, a lot of us have said, yeah, well, that's me. In fact, I can tell you when I did it. Can I ask you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Is it something that you just go, well, that happened, I'm a Christian or whatever? Or is it something that when you think about how God has saved you, it fills you with joy? As we look at this passage, we're going to look at this guy named Jethro, which is, uh, I've been told where where the band Jethro Tull gets the name from, but we're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see that God saves a nation, God transforms a life, and God organises a people. When you hear that third voice, you think, wait, Bix, don't you? God organises a people, because we're talking about organisation. Some of you guys are into organisation, you love that, but we're going to look at those three things. Let's have a look at the first point. God saves a nation. Let's have a look at verse 1 of chapter 18. It says this, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, father-in-law of Moses, heard everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the law brought Israel out of Egypt. This this thing that God had done in saving uh, his people from Egypt, which is the superpower of the time, has spread. We not only see um, that, that it's spread to the Midianites here, but it was also spread into Canaan. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab of Jericho says, we've heard about all this. This news has spread. And what happens, verse 2, after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons, one son named Gershon. For Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer. Where he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now you read that and you go, why does he just chuck in the two names of Moses' kids again? It's kind of weird to put it in. Well, you've got to realize is that um, names back then actually meant something, right? Nowadays, especially with celebrities, they just give their kids kind of weird names that don't mean anything. Like Frank Zappa named his daughter Moon Unit, which is just weird. But back in, back in this day, you would name your kid to remind you of pr- pr- pretty much what a God had done a lot of the time. And what has God done for mo- both Moses and Israel? Well, the two names are really important. Gershon, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. This is when Moses was in Midian, but also this was Israel in Egypt. They were foreigners in foreign lands. 
But then, verse 4, Eliezer, my father's God, was my helper. Why? He's reminding us that God has saved. God has saved Israel. But then we see in verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and, they, and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law every, about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the, and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Moses goes out to greet his father and then tells him of everything God had done in saving And did you notice how Moses doesn't tell the rosy side, oh, we were saved, but he actually talks about the hardship also. It's not just, hey, God has made my life great, but actually God had pulled me from the pit. Can I just say one thing with evangelism? When you're talking with your friends about Jesus, the problem of living in Australia is this, that we live in a world, in Australia, where everything for most people is really rosy, really good. Your friends don't need to hear how God has made your life great. Your friends actually need to hear that when you are at your lowest ebb, God was there for you. So that when they are at their lowest ebb, God may be there for them also, as he is for all of us. But in this section, Jethro is saying, sorry, Moses is saying to Jethro, oh, God had done all these amazing things. God had saved us. In verse 9 and 10, how does Jethro respond? With joy and with praise. With joy and with praise. God has saved his people and they're blown away. But do you realize that if you are a follower of Jesus, God has saved you? In a way that I would say it makes the Exodus look like not much at all. Yeah, thousands and thousands of Israelites were saved in the Exodus. Pharaoh was defeated, all that, absolutely. But it was such a temporal salvation. But yours is an eternal one. You, you were saved not, by, not from Egypt, but your slavery to sin and death. That's what you were saved, by, uh, saved from. See, the thing is, if you look at God saving his people from, from Egypt in the Exodus and you go, wow, that's amazing, and you look at your own life and you go, oh, yeah, God saved me, but it's not that big. You don't know the depths of your sin. You don't know the predicament that you were in before Jesus died for you. You don't understand what it costs God. And only when you understand the depths of your own sin... And only when you understand what Jesus has really done will you find that that's actually amazing. When I was 19, I moved up to Townsville. I went to a church and um, it was quite a big church and there was kind of this young adults group. And this young adults group would have a Bible talk when we got together pretty much once every two weeks and then a testimony. And what was really radical about these testimonies is per, everyone got up and told, told everyone how they were on drugs 
and they were drinking, and they were, uh, their life was a mess, and then Jesus saved them. And this happened every single week, right? And I was blown away because, like, you know, I just, uh, the worst, like, nothing happened like that to me, right? I just kind of was a 14-year-old kid who became a Christian, and I was blown away by these testimonies. So I went up to, to one of them, and I said, wow, what an amazing testimony. Like, you, you, were, you were homeless, on, you were in, in drugs, and that, he goes, yeah, that didn't really happen to me. And I was like, what? what? He goes, yeah, I just grew up in a Christian home and kind of grew up as a Christian. And I was like, really? And then another guy overheard me, he goes, yeah, when I got my testimony, all that, I, had it, I just grew up in a Christian home. And then I, was, I think I was eight, I became Christian. I said, so why do, you, why do you go through all this drug stuff? Why, why do you talk about that? And, and he said, oh, because my testimony is boring. So, so I just kind of make up all this stuff. And what I found out is that most of the people in, in the group were actually making up a bunch of stuff about their testimony. Because they, saw, they thought, man, it's so small. Doesn't, it's just so pathetic. Wish I had a real testimony. Can I just say this? You, if you think that your testimony is pathetic, if you just look at your life and go, well, I didn't really do nothing wrong, blah, 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 but God saved me, that's amazing. Because what's amazing is this, that God turned your life around, that you were saved from rebelling against the king of the universe. You were heading headlong into his eternal wrath and he died for you. See, it's not about your story. It's about his story. And I wonder if you think back to when you're saved. I wonder once again what emotion it does, for, gives to you. The, the, the sad thing is that I think a lot of us, when we think we're saved, we just go, oh, well, I'm saved. But that doesn't actually do anything for us. We don't rejoice at that. And yet that's the best thing that's ever happened to you if you follow Jesus. When Jesus saved you, that was monumental. And how could we just go, oh yeah, I'm saved? See, do you know how amazing the grace that God has shown you is? See, because when Jesus died for you, took your guilt, your shame, your sin. Every day we should rejoice because of what he's done. Because Jesus on the cross, he experienced all anguish that one day you may experience all joy. Jesus was, was cast off from his father that you might be brought in by the father. Jesus was trodden down as an enemy that you might be welcomed as a friend. Jesus was sur surrendered to hell's worst so that you would receive heaven's best. Jesus was stripped that one day you'd be clothed in clothes of glory. Jesus was wounded that you might be healed. Jesus was thirsty 
that you might drink of eternal streams. Jesus was tormented that you might be comforted. Jesus was made ashamed that you might inherit glory. Jesus entered eternal darkness that you might have eternal life. Jesus wept that one day all tears might be wiped from your eyes. Jesus groaned that you might one day have endless song. Jesus endured all pain that one day you may have unfading health. Jesus bore a thorny crown that one day you would have a crown of glory. Jesus bowed his head so that one day you might uplift yours. Jesus experienced rejection that you might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that you would open your eyes in eternal life. Jesus died that you might forever live. When you think about that, don't you rejoice? Aren't you just blown away that God would do that for you? Brothers and sisters, when I read that out, when when I talk about this, if your heart doesn't move, can I just say, you are in grave danger. If you call yourself a Christian and you are cold to that, you are in grave danger. Because when I read the scriptures, the first point of someone falling away is that they grow cold to what God has done. And here's, if you are there, can I, can I suggest two things? One, don't you talk with someone about it. Maybe it's me, maybe it's someone at church. It doesn't matter. Tell them, say, hey, I need help. Because I, remember, I used to remember a day when I rejoiced over this, and now it seems really cold to me. Second of all, that you take time every day to read the scriptures and pray. And I'm not saying that, that, that you would just go, oh, he's Mark 1, Jesus God, that's great. But that you would take time to meditate, to fill your mind with the scriptures. You would pray, that, pray to God that he would change your heart. He would give you one of great joy. One of the things that I used to do was uh, I, I call myself uh, a professional guitarist. It wasn't glamorous at all, don't worry. But I got to meet a bunch of semi-famous musicians and famous singers and that kind of thing. Um, and what was really interesting was every time I, I met one of these guys, I, I would try to remember a song that they had sung or something like that, and I would go, oh, I really like this song. It's usually one of their big hits or whatever, that kind of thing. And the amount of guys just went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that song. It was almost like there was this great song that pulled them out of misery or something and gave them stardom, out of poverty and gave them so much financial freedom. And they look at that song and go, yeah, it's a bit sick of that song. And they go, how could you ever be sick of a song like that? It's a bit like, you know, if you won the lottery and you had the, the, the ticket from your lottery on your wall and you went, stupid lottery ticket. Right? It'll be a bit weird. Like, I found it weird like that. But how weird is it that when we are saved by Jesus eternally, we just go, oh yeah, oh, I don't feel much. Doesn't that strike you as odd? He is Jethro. A Midianite who is just hearing about what God has done for the Israelites and he is full of joy and we have so great a salvation. Where is your joy? Where is your joy? God saves a nation, but let's have a look at God transforming a life. Have a look at verse 9 with me. 
Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father in the presence of God. I want to show you from these few verses that I think there's irrefutable proof that Jethro actually walked away from the gods of Midian and actually trusted in the God of the Bible. First of all, do you see how, how joyous he is? Verse 9, he was delighted. Verse 10, he starts praising. Second of all, what you've got to realize, and this is a bit geeky, I'm sorry about this, but throughout this passage, there's two different words for God in the original. In your, in your English, where it talks about God or gods, it, it uses the word Elohim, which is a general word for God, right? It's a general word for God. But when it says the Lord, it uses a specific name for God, Yahweh. And through the book of Exodus, um, God is trying to let people know who he is, that he is Yahweh. And here we see Jethro say, praise be to Yahweh, in verse 10. Verse 11, now I know that Yahweh is greater. He is saying Yahweh is the true and living God. And finally, did you see verse 12? There's two things in verse 12. First of all, he sacrifices burnt offerings and a bunch of other sacrifices. In the Old Testament, when someone actually comes to put their trust in Yahweh, that's what they do a lot of the time. In ancient Near Eastern religions, that's what they do. When you converted, you would burn, you would give burnt offerings. That's what he does here. But also, finally, he eats a meal with Moses... Oh, sorry, with Aaron and the rest of the leaders in the presence of God. But I want to show you one other thing. One other thing. In Exodus 2, we meet Jethro. And when when Moses marries him, sorry, marries his daughter, sorry. And, you know, there he's called Ruel, friend of God. In chapter 3, verse 1, he is called Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. 18, verse 1, he's called Jethro, the priest of Midian, uh, father-in-law of Moses. And you can look this up later, but in Numbers 10, 29, he's called Ruel, father-in-law of Moses but it's, he's not named the priest of Midian. Why? Because he's turned his back on his old life and he trusts in the God of the Bible fully. He has turned his back on his old life and he trusts in the God fully. Now, now, now think, think about this. Can you imagine how much that would have cost him? Imagine you are the priest of Midian, which kind of implies that you are the top dog. 
and you go back to Midian and you say, actually, all, all these idols that we've been worshipping, they're all wrong. There's one God. And can you imagine how everyone just would have uh, Imagine if I came up to you and said, said this week, and I said, oh, guys, I just want to let you know that I had a spiritual experience. Uh, you know, uh, I, I went down to Melbourne. And, and I've come back, and I just want to say... That Jesus is not God, but Allah is, and I'm a Muslim, and that's what I'll be teaching. I mean, what would happen here? I mean, wouldn't you just fire me as you should? But if I kept going like that, I'd have no, no church to pastor. The same thing would have happened. People would have gone, okay, okay, um, this Yahweh guy, uh, God, um, if I want a big crop, what sacrifices can I make? And Jethro would have gone, well, no, actually, you just trust in God. Oh, okay, but, but, but what, about, what about these rites? I really like some of the gods we serve because, you know, they, they were kind of fun. There were some sexual things involved with them. Um, and Jethro goes, oh, actually, you've got to stop doing that. Oh, but, but what about this part of... I really felt like our gods, we could kind of manipulate. This is a god you cannot manipulate. And within 24 hours, Jethro doesn't have anyone who wants to hear about Yahweh. This would have cost him everything. Can I just ask you, have you had a massive transformation in your life? Jethro's friends and family would have, been, would have seen this, this transformation. And as he lived, people would have seen it and they would have been able to compare their life and his and they would have been saying, well, you're no longer the average Midianite. And I just wonder, when you have a look at your life, is it like the average Australian? Or can we see a big difference? Uh, I, I ran into uh, uh, an old friend a couple of uh, months ago. I was in Sydney, uh, I am in Sydney, but I was in, in the centre of Sydney in the CBD and out of nowhere I hear hands, hands and I turn around and there's a guy running up to me in a suit and I was going, I think I remember you from somewhere but I'm not sure and he's going, hey man, how you doing? And you know, you know how you kind of recognise somebody and you're having the conversation and you're pretending you know them but in the back of your mind you're going, I don't know where I know this guy and this is really embarrassing. Um, but then, but then it clicked. I knew him from Moree. And he was a grade below me in Moree. And what had happened was he left Moree. He got a job as a carpenter. And over the last 20 years, he, uh, he's made thousands, if not millions of dollars. And everything in his life has changed. And I asked him, does he go back to Moree? And he goes, I don't go back to Moree anymore because... People just see that I've changed radically. And I just wonder, I wonder if people can see that you've changed radically because of what Jesus has done. Jethro changed from seeing this panoply of gods and worshipping all of them to seeing one. And that changed. How do you know if you've changed? Well, have a look at Jethro's words again. Now I know that the Lord is greater. Is Jesus greater? 
in your life? You're probably saying greater than what? The answer is everything. Everything. Is it greater than your job, than your family, than your money, than your everything? Is Jesus greater? Here is Jethro. He's heard of God's salvation and he's saying Yahweh's greater. You have experienced God's salvation in Jesus. Is Jesus greater than everything? Has Jesus so impacted your life that you can stand up and say, he has changed it radically? God saved a nation. God transforms a life. And finally, let's have a look at the wheat big section. Jesus, uh, God organizes a people. Okay. Let's jump in. I wonder if you were reading verses, uh, you know, 15 to the end, and you're going, oh, man, that, that's, like, really nice, but it's kind of odd. Why would you put it in there? I, I think it is because God, through Jethro, helps Moses organize his people. Basically, that's what's happening. So, see, Moses was doing what uh, an ancient Near Eastern leader would do. He was judging all the cases, but when you got thousands and thousands of Israelites who one day who one day came from under the laws of Egypt to now being kind of like this people group that are wandering around around uh, the middle of the desert, and they're wondering, oh, how do I live now? What should I do? That kind of thing. And they're always coming to Moses. That's what's happening. And did you notice he's going from sun up to sundown every single day? So poor old Moses is probably exhausted. And what does Jethro do? Well, first of all, he sees 18, eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 14, 17, and 18. And he sees and offers a solution. But you're probably asking, well, well Hans, you've said God organises the people. Surely this is Jethro organises the people. No, because four times through this, through this section... Jethro actually talks about God. And in verse 23, let's have a look at verse 23. It says this, If you do this, and God so commands. The whole point for Jethro, now that he's saved, is I've got some wisdom for you, but actually seek God and see if this is right. And I think Moses listens and goes on, so he would have done that. See, one of the things that that you've got to see all the way through the scriptures is that God, in his grace and love, very clearly says this is how churches should be organized. And it's really, really important. So there's two things I want to take from this. First of all, God, in his grace, gives structure to, to the leadership of his people. God, in his grace, gives structure to the leadership of his people. It wasn't wrong for Moses to serve as judge. It was wrong that he was the only judge. And if you have a look at Acts 6, we had it read out before, something similar happens in the early church. The the disciples are run off their feet, attending to everyone's wishes. And they say, this is no good. We are meant to be people of the word and prayer, just as Moses was meant to be a man who seeks after God and represents God to, you know, to the people of Israel and Israel back to God. And yet he couldn't do that. And so what, what happens in Acts chapter 6? 
they form a group of people to manage the affairs of the people of God or the practical stuff. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, especially something like uh, 1 Timothy 3, what you see is God gives elders and deacons, and they're meant to be plural. And here's why. There's some churches, whether it be charismatic or Anglican background churches, where it seems like the pastor or the pastor and his wife rule. And can I just say, I think that's really wrong. Not only the Bible doesn't, like, goes against that, but also from my own experience, that's just really dumb because I'm sinful. And one of the problems is, is that people get hurt when leadership goes bad. And if you don't have, as, as a senior pastor or a lead pastor or whatever you want to call it, a bunch of people around you who will actually help you lead and pull you up, that actually goes really bad. And some people in this room have been hurt profoundly by leadership who did not have those accountability structures. And yet you see in the Bible there's meant to be a multiplicity of elders. That, that's the first thing. God gives structure to his leadership But there's also a goodness to this structure, elders and deacons. It means that we can do all the work that we've got to do. There's so much work to do in the church, and it's good to have things divided up. And guess what? I don't know if you've realized, but I'm not talented in everything. Tim's not either. And so it's good to have other people's talents helping us out. But here's the second point on this section. God gives qualified people to his leadership. Notice, notice the, the, the qualifications. Moses said, Jethro says to Moses in verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. If you read 1 Timothy 3, what, what elders are meant to be is uh, are, are people who aren't given to greed. They're not meant to be alcoholics or people who drink a lot. They're meant to be temperate. They're meant to not be prone to anger. They're meant to want to be leaders. They're meant to be the kind of men that you look and you go, if my son turns out like that guy, I will be so happy. And yet, so many uh, churches actually just kind of don't think about these kind of things. When I, when I started going to church, I went to an Anglican church, and uh, I was fif- around 15 years old, and uh, there was an announcement out the front that they just had an AGM. And I was like, what is... They just talked about AGM, AGM, AGM. I was like, what is an AGM? I never heard of an AGM before. They said, annual general meeting. I thought, man, that sounds boring, but I asked. What do you do at an AGM? They said, well, we, we elect new people... Um, to be on this thing called parish council. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad there's a bunch... And I said, I'm glad there's a bunch of people who follow Jesus who are helping run the church. And the pastor said, oh, I don't think all of them follow Jesus. And I was like, wait up. How do they get on then? He goes, oh, well, people just vote them in. I said, surely people have asked him questions. Oh, no, 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 you just vote them in. And I went to the... the uh, uh, no, I said to him... I wish I would have went. And he said, oh, you wouldn't have been able to vote because you're not 16. And I was like, I'm 16 next year, though. So I went. 
it's really interesting. I, I saw people going, oh, we need one more person. You should have a go. Then you should have a go, that kind of thing. Not really thinking about whether a person is actually saved or qualified. And so I put up my hand and I said, could we actually have all the people who are down we're going to vote for, could they just tell us how they became a Christian and what is the gospel? And everyone kind of was like, that's kind of weird. And I said, I want to put that forward as a motion because I heard that other people put forward motions and, and no one seconded it. And you're probably going, wow, how terrible that is. Can I just say, every single church I've been a part of, there has been people in the leadership team of the church who don't follow Jesus, and this church is no exception. I have served with people on the leadership team that I was convinced weren't a Christian. And I took them out to lunch, and I said, you should not be serving. And they served anyway, and we all voted them in. Because we didn't take what the Bible says about leadership seriously. See, when you, when you put in bad leadership in churches, churches go off the rails and people get hurt. And we've got to be very, 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 very careful. Because one of the main ways Satan attacks God's church is through bad leadership. In fact, I think it's the main way. Well, why am I going on about this, right? Because as a church, we have a leadership team that basically is this kind of in-between thing between elders and deacons. And I actually think that, that if we're going to be a biblical church, we need to install elders, elders who will take really be concerned with the theological direction of the church, with how we're doing as a church spiritually, not just concerned about, you know, are we selling 62, but they're thinking about those kind of things. And not just thinking about how to run the ministries of the church like the staff, but they're really thinking about the church from that angle. And then you've got a board of deacons who are worried about, you know, thinking about finances and all those kind of things. That's how the church should biblically be set up. And so here's a few things. First of all, pray for the leaders of the church. Pray for the LT. Next year at the AGM, don't vote for someone if you don't know where they're at with Jesus. Ask them. Thirdly, um, when we talk about, and we will be talking more and more about eldership over the next few years, start thinking about it. Start praying for it. And one of the things that will need to happen, I'm just letting you know, we will need to have constitutional change around this. Because if you read our constitution, it doesn't help us define what the roles are. And our constitution needs to reflect that. Why do we care so much about organising the church? It is so that people are protected. So that people who are narcissistic don't get into leadership. People don't abuse leadership. You know, leaders don't have the opportunity to abuse or threaten or belittle. But, but if the church is led well, human speaking, 
what happens? It means that we can do our job better. Because don't we want to see a lot of Jethro's come to know Jesus? Don't we want to see a flood of people in our area? I mean, now, I don't know about you, but I've never met a Midianite. But man, I've met a ton of people from China and from Korea and from Singapore and Malaysia in our area. I've met a bunch of people from Africa. I've met a bunch of people from South America. I've met all these great people who don't know Jesus. And just as God's salvation of the Israelites was proclaimed and Jethro came to know the God of the Bible, we, we want all the people around us from the many nations to come and hear about the salvation in Jesus so that it would that they would bow the knee to Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that not only have you saved Israel, you saved Israel, but you saved us. Thank you that you saved Jethro. Lord, I, I just pray for, for those of us who, who this salvation has become something that is kind of just old. Revive us. Well, we talk about revival of Australia, revival of our area, but, but Lord, would you revive our hearts so that when we sing of your amazing grace, it would not just be something that we sing, but something that really refreshes our hearts. Lord, we want to see many people like Jethro come to know you. We pray that it would happen. But Lord, we do pray that we would also take church leadership seriously. Lord, we pray that, that we will be very careful in the people that we elect to church government. And as we think, we've got to think through in the future about eldership potential constitutional change, Lord, that you would help us to do it wisely, wisely so we divide power well, wisely so that people are safe and they are cared for, but wisely so that you and your glory are magnified and people can come to know you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's stand and sing. Our